You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I want to pick up in verse uh, 24 and read verses 24, 25, and 26, but it's really verse 24 I want to eventually focus on this morning. In verse 24, we read, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we look to you, Lord, and if we are going to reach the goal of understanding your word a little bit more this morning, Father, we we are going to really require your instruction. We require your work in our hearts, Lord, and we pray you would be pleased, O Lord, to work in our hearts as we seek to understand uh, Paul's writings. They can be very dense and sometimes sometimes hard for us to to figure out. Uh, but Father, we ask, O Lord, that you would teach us and, and guide us in that which you teach us. Guide us in your truth, Lord, that we could align our lives with it. We thank you for your mercy and patience with us, Father. In Jesus' name name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't want to look at verse 24 this morning in isolation of everything else, so I think it does us well to uh, go back to at least verse 13 and really begin looking at the general context there. And it'll serve not only as a, 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 a context for us, but also as a review. There in verse 13, we see the word freedom. Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers. And of course, this is brothers and sisters. And let us remember, uh, Paul is writing to a church in distress, but nevertheless, a a church is indeed who he's writing to. Uh, He's writing to uh, people in the church who are truly united to Christ uh, by their faith. He makes reference to them as brothers, and we can can, uh, certainly add sisters to that. And what is he saying there? We've looked at this several times. I don't think that we can... um, Uh, repeat this too often. He says, you were called to freedom. And what freedom? What what freedom are we being called to? We have said it's freedom to become like Christ. It's not freedom to live any way we please, but it's freedom to become like Christ. And let's pause and think about that for a moment, of what a great gift that is, to where we've been set free to become like Jesus. It's a tremendous freedom. It's a tremendous gift. Even as we come in here this morning to worship, you know, I, I was it, several times this week, um, I explained just what a privilege it is to gather for worship. I don't know if we look at it that way very often, but it's truly a, a privilege to be gathered here. And it's not something that everybody in the world can do. You know, if I come in here and some given Sunday as an unbeliever, I could, if I like the music and I like the melody, I could perhaps enjoy the song and sing along. But one thing I wouldn't be able to do is join my heart with these lyrics and offer them to Christ in faith. I simply would not be able to participate at that level. But the whole point in our salvation is so that we can participate at that level, so we can come in here and we can enjoy um, being brought into the same activity that the holy angels are doing in heaven, right? And it's an enormous privilege. And it's one of the things that we've been set free to do. 
You know, the hymn writers picked up on this many, many years ago saying, you know, Lord, tune our hearts to sing is one of the lines that we would use. Or set our tongues free to sing would be another line. Or for a thousand tongues to sing. You think of all these lyrics. They're just kind of coming to my mind right now where it expresses that freedom. It's not a freedom that we that, that I would have as an unbeliever, but it's a freedom that I have the moment that I put my faith and trust in Christ and I'm brought in un- union with Christ and all the spiritual blessings in Christ are given to me, suddenly I have this freedom. It's not freedom to live any way I want. No, it's much greater than that. For freedom to live any way we want is actually slavery. Do you follow me? Some, some, some have said, well, would you like to explain that? Well, the next verse explains it. If you look, actually, our verse 13 explains it. If we look there, Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, what is he talking there? Okay, don't use your freedom to live any way you please, or don't use your freedom to gratify the desires of the flesh, if you will. Well, what happens if we do that? What happens when we do that is we fall back into sin again. If we fall back into sin again, then what happens? Then we come back into a form of slavery, don't we? And we've not been set free in order to be enslaved to sin. We've been set free from, uh, from sin so that we could be free to do something else, namely become like Jesus. Does that make sense? I could probably put it a lot better than that if I went through it a couple more times, but I think we all get it. Um, Paul says, no, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh. We're not free to live any way we want. No, he says, but through love serve one another. And what's interesting about this verse, and we've looked at it several times, is that we're, we're enslaved to sin. This is how we come out of the box, if you will. We're fallen, enslaved to sin under the dominion of the evil one until Christ sets us free. When Christ sets us free, he, he really sets us free from one form of servitude to another form of servitude. You know, the first time I ever saw that truth was when I was at Geneva College doing my undergraduate work, and there was a handout from one of the writings of Edmund Clowney, who was a professor from a previous generation. And one of the things that struck me in that handout was Edmund Clowney said, the call to Christ is the call to service. You've heard me quote that before. I read that one time, and it just locked in my mind. I thought, oh, my goodness, that is so true. The call to Christ is a call to service. And here Paul's telling us this, isn't he? He says, no, this is part of the freedom package. It's freedom to, to, um, through love, serve one another. And furthermore, we have seen in verse 14 that the whole law is fulfilled as we do this. We've looked at the Ten Commandments, haven't we? And we've seen how the Ten Commandments are interconnected. We can't just break one of them, can we? You know, if you break one, it's, it's, like, it's not like you, you've, you've been given a, a test. There's 10 questions on the test, and it, it's not like you've just missed one of them if you break one of them. They're all so interconnected that when we break one of them, really the whole thing comes trampling down, doesn't it? So you can see absolute perfection is actually required. The staggering thing about all that is this is exactly what Jesus does during his earthly ministry, isn't it? He's absolute perfection. He keeps the law in our, in our place. But... Consequence, consequent to that. Okay, if we break one of the commandments and they all go falling down, if we keep one of them perfectly, they're all upheld, right? Now, of course, we can't keep them perfectly. But as we grow more and more in this calling to love each one, love one another, through service, love one another, 
What are we doing? We're progressively becoming more and more like Jesus, and we're progressively keeping all of those things. Does that make sense? When we see Jesus through the, through the Gospels, what is he doing? We, you can see his absolute love for the Father as he's going through, especially when our study of John, some of you remember as we went through John's Gospel, remember Jesus over and over again said, I've not come to do my own will, I've come to do the will of the Father. And over and over again, you see him saying these things. What is he doing? He's, because of his absolute love for the Father, he is following the Father's will. And of course, in following the Father's will, what else is he doing? He's loving people. And this freedom that we have is freedom to become like that. Now, let's just for a moment imagine what life tomorrow would be like at the workplace if we were all committed to that. Be radically different than probably what we face tomorrow, right? In all likelihood. Well, let's pray that it's different. But imagine if we just had one day where we, where we were committed to that. Where the Lord's taking us is an eternity where we're committed to that perfectly. Is that a wonderful truth or what? That's where this freedom is taking us. Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we've looked at how that actually fulfills um, all of the commandments. In verse 15, Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And here we're getting a little bit of a tip as to what's going on. Uh, in the Galatian church, and we derived a principle from that is always worth reminding ourselves of, is as soon as we lose gospel focus, what happens? Our relationships with, every, with each other suffers, doesn't it? They've lost their gospel focus, and what has been the result? One of the things the result is they're backbiting, and they're devouring, devouring each other. You know, so I think if we ever find ourselves in our heart wanting to backbite one another or wanting... Uh, to say something negative or slander one another, let's ask ourselves at that very second, in that very instant, have I lost my focus of the gospel? And I'm going to guess that the answer is always going to be yes to that question. So what's our work to do now? Leave the slandering aside, to leave it alone, put it behind you, and begin focusing on the gospel. Does that make sense? Now, in verse 16, Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, you'll not desire the you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, here's where I want to start picking up. I want, to, I want to look at this just a little bit deeper than we did last time. And I want you to notice in verse 16 that we have a command, we have a promise, and we have a presupposition. We have a command, we have a promise, and we have a presupposition. What's the command? The command's the walk by the Spirit, right? What's the promise? Well, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not what? Gratify the desires of the flesh. What's the presupposition? There will be desires of the flesh. And I think that's really important. A lot of times all we say, oh, verse 16, we have a command and a promise, command and a promise. You read the commentaries, you're going to find that. But I think we need to add to that this. There's also a presupposition. There will be the desires of the flesh. The Christian life is a life of seasons. You know, as you live the Christian life for a decade or two, yeah, I don't even think we need to do that. You live the Christian life just for a, a period of time, and you discover it's a, it's, a, it's a life of seasons. There are seasons of joy and peace and amazement, and thank goodness for those seasons. You go through seasons where you're so excited about your faith, so excited about Jesus. The idea of gratifying a sinful desire is not even on your radar. I mean, those are wonderful, wonderful times. 
But we don't stay there, do we? If you're enjoying a time like that, that's great. And I want that time to last as long as it possibly can. But the fact of the matter is, we go through seasons. And some of the seasons are very dark. Just like right now, we're in the midst of fall, aren't we? And we learned Friday night, we are indeed in the midst of fall, aren't we? I mean, when that sun went down, it got chilly Friday, didn't it? Um, But nevertheless, I mean, it made the fire all that more uh, lovely and wonderful. But we go through seasons, you know, we have summer and winter and springtime and harvest as the the hymn. I got a lot of hymns in my head today, I don't know. Um, But the Christian life is one that's lived by seasons, and we go through seasons where it gets dark. We go through seasons where we have doubts. We go through seasons where sin gets the best of us sometimes. We go through seasons where we're troubled with temptations. We go through these various times, and that's presupposed by this verse. And when sometimes when sensitive souls, and it don't even have to be a sensitive soul, sometimes when all of us, when we go through those periods of time, and we get onslaughted with some of the thoughts that go in our minds, or we discover we've done this or we've done that. We can't even believe that we've done these things, and it can cause us to call and to question our salvation. Have you ever had that experience? Luther had that experience. He went through that experience. He writes about it in his writings, and it was to such a degree that Luther questioned his very own salvation because he did fall into sin. Sin got the, the, the desires of the flesh, got the best of him, and he succumbed to those things. And he fell into some pretty worldly stuff. There's no question about that. And it caused him to question his salvation. And I, I bring that to your attention because Luther found great comfort in verse 17. Look at verse 17 there. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We talked about that briefly last week. I said I think it's pretty plain. I don't think there's a lot of trouble in us understanding this. If you are in the Christian life, you understand that verse to a degree. But think about the presupposition. We need to think about the presupposition. What is presupposed by this verse also? There will be desires of the flesh. Why do I emphasize this? Because when it happens, I don't want you to think something strange is happening to you. Or something is happening to you that doesn't happen to anyone else. That you're all alone. That everyone else is happy up on the hill, on the mountain, just enjoying a great time. No. These are valleys that all of us go through. They're valleys. If you've never been through one of these valleys, it's, it's around the corner. You will go through these times. This is how God really works in our lives. But how did Luther find so much, so much uh, comfort in this verse? Well, because... The desires of the flesh are going to be there. But also, and this is where the strength came from, the work of the Spirit is going to be there too. We're not going to be on our, we're not going to be alone. I mean, think about it. I mean, the, 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 the so-called gospel presentation that says that Jesus forgives us of all of our sins uh, past And then it's up to us to stay on the road. Think about how miserable of a... That's no gospel at all. Gospel means good news. That's not good news. That's very bad news. That's really bad news. But no, what's going on here? Notice the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Okay, we get that. And these desires of the flesh, some of them are summarized in verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. We went through those last week. 
Uh, you can look at verses 19, 20, and 21 and see all those things. Okay, easy enough. Those things are opposed to the Spirit, but the desires of the Spirit are against those things. And here came the comfort to Luther, and it should bring comfort to us as well. The desires of the Spirit are against those things. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, right? And it's wonderful, wonderful news. Now, if we look down verse 18 really quickly, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Why? The Spirit's never going to lead us in lawlessness, is he? We could say that really quick, like, if you go down to verse um, uh, 24, notice there, and I want to spend a little bit of time there this morning and, and add some new thoughts to this. In verse 24, we're told that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so we recognize that there's a civil war going on, right? We recognize that there's a civil war that's going on in our hearts. And what is this civil war? This civil war is between the, the new life that we get in Christ Jesus. And this only applies to us if we're in Christ. If we're not in Christ, then, okay, the, prob the problem is there isn't a war. That's the problem. But if you're in Christ, and one of the ways you can know if you're in Christ or not is because there's a war. There's a battle. And what's the battle? The battle is the remnant of sin that's in your life is still trying to lead us to do things that we know are against God, right? And we can know, one of the ways that we can know we're in crisis because we don't want to do those things, not because we're worried about what the neighbors think or not because we're worried about, oh, I just can't believe I'm the type of person that would do such and such. No, we're worried about these things because we realize they're displeasing to the God who has loved us and gave himself for us, right? And if you're thinking along those lines and you're mourning over sin because you know it's displeasing to God, that is about a foolproof test that you are in Christ. And the fact is, there's a war, right? There's a civil war going on in our hearts. And here, Paul tells us that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, we have talked about this in the past, haven't we? Maybe some of you have been around for the whole study and said, you know, that sounds familiar. That sounds a lot like Galatians 2.20, right? If you took, just turn the page back and look at Galatians 2, verse 20, there you see Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that? And when we were there, we talked about that. We talked about the fact that the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you can think of my cross and stick figure that I'm drawing, that I'm always drawing for everybody. You've got the cross. You've got the stick figure. Who's the stick figure? It's the one who's repenting. The moment that they repent of their sins, their sins go to the cross, right? The cross represents the work that Jesus does there. Uh, I don't draw pictures of Jesus. I just draw the cross. That represents what Jesus is doing. I'm such a lousy artist, as you all know. I couldn't draw a picture of Jesus if I wanted to. Um, that's the stick figure part. But it gets the point across. The moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, what happens? Our sins are given to him. And what happens? His righteousness is given to us. And what we have seen there is that the old person, if you will, that old sinner goes to the cross with Jesus 
and dies with him. Right? Go to Second uh, Corinthians 5. Just turn left and you'll be in 2 Corinthians. Go to verse 5. Go to verse 17. It's a well-known passage, and this would be good to get in your minds and paraphrase it the best you can, memorize it, do whatever you got to do. Where there, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, you see that, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he is a what? He's a new creation. The old has what? It has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has been crucified with Christ. Someone will say, how can you say that? How can you be sure of that? Well, keep turning left. You'll go past 1 Corinthians, and then you'll get to Romans, to the passage that we read earlier. Romans 6. And I, I, I just want to go through verses 1 through 15 kind of quickly. And as we do this, you're going to see a number of amazing parallels with what we're studying in Galatians. In Romans 6, verse 1, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, you can almost hear Galatians 5.16 there, can't you? You know, it's to freedom we've been called, brothers and sisters, not to gratify the desires of the flesh, not to live any way that we want. Well, here Paul's saying something very similar. What do we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, we're not called to live any way that we want. Paul says, by no means, verse 2. How can we who died to sin, see, here's the death. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What kind of death is this? Well, let's keep reading. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was what? It's crucified. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see the parallels between what we're studying in Galatians 5? We would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set what? He's been set free. He's been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. No longer has uh, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, now keep in mind, Jesus has no sin of his own. Let me point that out. What sin did he die for? It was for our sin. He died to sin, our sin. He had no sin. If he had sin, where would he be? He'd still be in the grave, wouldn't he? There'd have been no resurrection. He'd be in the grave and he'd be waiting for a Messiah. How can we be so confident he is the Messiah? Because he rose on the third day. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a parallel coming that I want to explain in a few moments. Um, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Okay, see the presupposition there? There will be ungodly desires. 
Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Oh, we have freedom now. We have freedom to be like Christ. Present our members as such to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now, let's go back to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Paul says there, I have been crucified with Christ. This is something that had happened to us the moment we were justified. We could say this is something that has happened to us upon conversion. At conversion, we are crucified with Christ. Does that make sense? We're talking about justification now. Let's be careful as we go through Galatians that we keep justification and sanctification in their proper place and we're going to get into a big mess. And lots of people have. So we want to make sure. Okay, right now we're talking about justification. We have been crucified with Christ. The moment we put us, think about that diagram that I draw. And if no one's ever seen the diagram, call me, ask me to draw it in the hallway. And I'll, I'll, I doubt anyone asks. I think you've all seen it. Uh, but ask, and I'll draw it really quick. The moment you put your faith in Christ, your sins go to him. That old person goes to him. What's Jesus doing up there? He's taking that away. You're now a new creation the moment you put your faith and trust in him. You have been crucified with Christ. The wonderful thing is you're also raised with Christ. That's Ephesians 1, isn't it? And seated with him in the heavenly places in, in this sense. Our citizenship is no longer in this world, right? These are the great promises. Okay. Now, with that having been said, let's go to Galatians 5, verse 24. Notice in verse 24 that it is those who belong to Christ who are doing the crucifying. Do you see that? You see, in Galatians 2.20, it's passive. I have been crucified. Okay? And we talk about that in the context of justification. All right? We have now switched gears, and we're talking about sanctification. We're called to freedom. What is the freedom? To become like Christ. Okay, we're clothed. If you're in Christ, you're clothed with his righteousness. So in one sense, you're already clothed. In one sense, you're already sanctified. In one sense, when God looks at us, what's he see? He sees the perfection of his son. But in another sense, in God's wisdom, as we've already talked about, what is the presupposition? The presupposition is there's going to be these ungodly desires, isn't there? And sometimes they get the best of us, don't they? And sanctification, in its other sense, is growing through that, growing through that, growing more and more like Christ. Now, the reason we have to keep these two things separate is because we're not going to be justified as we become like Christ. You see the big difference? There are a lot of people that teach it. It goes like this. The more and more you become like Christ, the closer you're getting to being justified. That's not good news. What if I don't make it? The good news is the gospel is that the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're given his righteousness and you're in. He's not asking us to do something we can't do. 
Because as he calls us, he gives us the empowerment to do it. How do we get in? Put your faith and trust in Christ. That's how you get in. You can do that right now. Put your faith and trust in him right now. When you do that, you're as in as I am. I am no further in than you are the moment that you do that. Why? Because you're given the same righteousness that's given to me and given to everyone else and given to all the saints who have gone before us. It's the same righteousness. It's the absolute perfection of Jesus. That's justification. You're adopted. You're now a son and daughter of God. You're in. And now this process, if you will, of becoming like Christ begins. That's sanctification. I say this because we're not going to get right with God by walking by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit because we've already been made right with God. You follow me? I'm seeing lots of heads go like this, and that's good because we can trip and fall down here and run into a terrible mess. And the terrible mess is not a mess of, okay, we're just going to get banged up in this. It's the difference of life and death in Christ. This is, a, this is a primary issue here. It's not a secondary issue or a tertiary issue. This is a primary issue. So I, I want to make myself as clear as I possibly can before I begin developing verse 24 because in verse 24 we're talking about sanctification, not justification. In sanctification, we cooperate with God. Everybody okay with that? We have been crucified. In one sense, we have been crucified upon conversion. We get that from Romans 6, right? We have been crucified. When those sins go to Jesus, he dies in our place, takes that away. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature, right? The old has passed away. Now, I'm indebted to Philip Graham Riken for this illustration because Philip Graham Riken, his chapter on, on these verses is exceptional. It's exceptional in his commentary on Galatians. I, highly re- I haven't read the whole thing, but this ch- if the rest of the book's like this chapter, I would have to highly recommend this because he says, listen, when, when a person is crucified, he doesn't die right away. Crucifixion is a slow, agonizing death. People sometimes live for days like that. Could you imagine that? Living for days like that. And what happens in the Christian life is that old man or old woman, if you will, is crucified, okay? There's a sense where it's over. But there is another sense, okay, where that old person wants to come down from the cross. Says, I don't like it up here. Everyone who's up there wants to come down, don't they? And here's the problem. Here's the problem. We have a tendency to want to nurture that old person back to health. We have a tendency to want to coddle it. We have a tendency to say, okay, okay, I'm going to let you back down, but you be good. And what's amazing is once that old person is let down from that cross, how quickly they recover from their injuries. Okay, once we do that, guess what? We fall. I think that's a really helpful illustration. Um, in fact, I have a quote from him here. I usually don't like long quotes because it's hard to follow long quotes, but I think you can follow this one. When it, it, when it comes to the business of letting the old person down off the cross, Philip Riken writes, this has to stop. 
Do not administer first aid to your flesh. That is that sinful nature. That sinful nature. It wants to come down off the cross. This has to stop. Do not administer first aid to your flesh. Instead, treat it the way Jesus was treated at Calvary. Mortify. Now, mortify means kill. To mortify means it's an old word. It means to kill. Mortify your sinful nature. Put it to death. From time to time, whenever it shows signs of life, say, oh, no, you don't. Don't try to climb down from there. Get back up on that cross where you belong. Then pound in the nails a little bit deeper. If you belong to Christ, you have crucified your sinful nature and all selfish desire. Do not resuscitate it. Do not give it CPR. Do not keep it on life support. Just leave it on the cross and let it die. And that's, it seems to me that this, um, he doesn't go on to say this, but it just seems to me that this is a practical way that we walk by the Spirit, isn't it? That's a practical way to walk by the Spirit. Are we going to do this perfectly? No. We don't do anything perfectly. What do we do perfectly in this life? Name one thing that we do perfectly in this life, even with the assistance of God. What, work? Do we do a perfect work in this life? Everything we do is stained with sin in some degree. Perfection is glorification, and that awaits. As we go through the doorway of death, we will be glorified if we're in Christ Jesus. And then we'll be able to sin no more. Imagine not being capable of sinning no longer. That's in the near future. The battle will be over. The civil war will be no more. You know, if we go back to verse 16 again, you know, there'll be no more gratification of sinful desire because there'll be no sinful desire to gratify ever again. But in the meantime, in this very short period of time that we have left, what are we to do? We're to recognize This process of becoming like Christ is the process of sanctification, right? It's the process of, let's say it all together. It is the process of sanctification. You ready? It's the process of sanctification, not justification. Say that with me, please, too. Not justification. It's the process of becoming like Christ. And why is that so important? When we're getting all beat up and we're all getting all beat up, I get beat up. When we all get beat up, we need to remember we're not fighting for victory. We're not trying to get so sanctified that after, after this is over, we'll be let into heaven because we're so sanctified. Think about that for a minute. I know some of you are smiling, but it's not funny if that's what you really believe. I'm going to get so sanctified that God's going to look at me and say, oh, come on in. You're, you're really, man. You're, in fact, you got so much sanctification, you got something to spare. Get on in here. That is never going to happen. That is never, ever, ever going to happen. No, we're justified because of Christ, because of his righteousness. But in the meantime, in this life, we are to grow in Christ-likeness. That is sanctification, right? Walking by the Spirit helps us in sanctification. It helps us in that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And, And that's where our strength comes from. It's not in willpower. Don't try to do this in willpower because you can't do it. You're going to get whooped. I get beat every time I try to do that. 
I have never been successful at that. Neither has anybody else. You're going to get a pounding if you try to do this by yourself. Look to verse 17. Look to the verse that gave Luther so much comfort. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Got it. But the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. It's his desire to beat that. Now, who do you think is going to win? Jesus has promised to build his church, and who will be his church? His church is going to be a bunch of glorified sinners who are now perfect. And as we're walking with him, we have his promise to walk with us. We have his promise to be with us every step of the way to do what? To make us like him. Amen? That's probably a good place to stop. What do you think? Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes these things are so difficult to communicate and to get across. And I pray, Father, that nobody is misunderstanding. We would never confuse justification and sanctification. Father, we teach us in such a way that, Father, we understand fully that we cannot get justified by human effort. We can't get right with you by anything that we do. All we can do is receive the mercy that you're offering us in Christ Jesus. And, Father, I pray that, Lord, you will lead us all. Cause us to see your beauty. Cause us to see your, the wonder of your righteousness. Cause us to seal this, that we would choose it, Lord. We pray, O oh, Father, that you would work in our hearts that way. But, Father, as we're in Christ, as we're walking through this life, we recognize that there are many desires that are unholy, their desires, their filthy desires, their dirty desires, their, their unbiblical desires, their desires that are against the Holy Spirit and his work. Oh, Father, we pray that, Lord, help us to see that this is the process of sanctification, overcoming these things. And help us to see, oh, Lord, that we fight this battle. We do indeed fight this battle from victory, not for victory. Help us, oh, Father, to understand these things so clearly. And help us, oh, Lord, to begin to do this work by walking by the Spirit. That when these sinful desires raise their head, they will call them back to the cross where they belong. Help us in this work, O oh Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.